Colossians chapter number one this morning, if you have your Bibles, the book of Colossians chapter number one. Thank you for being here today, and uh, we're excited about beginning 2016, uh, first Sunday of the year here at North Point Baptist Church, and we're excited about what God is doing. If you looked in your bulletin this morning, you may have thought that you're getting two sermons today. You are. No. Um... Last night, uh, you can ask my wife, you, you know, you, you wake up sometimes in the middle of the night. How many ever woke up in the middle of the night? Wake up in the middle of the night. How many of you woke up in the middle of the night and can't go back to sleep? Yeah, that was last night. How many ever woke up in the middle of the night and you toss and turn for the rest of the night and you wake your spouse up? Oh, uh, that was last night. I, I, I just couldn't uh, get peace about the message that I was going to bring this morning. And so I finally got up and came to church this morning. And uh, the Lord just really impressed upon my heart that we needed to go in a different direction. And so the insert in your bulletin this morning is the one that uh, we're going to uh, fill out if you're in the habit of taking notes. Today I want to speak to you on the subject of a new year, another chance to start over. Another chance to start over. We, we come to this place every single year where it's the first Sunday or the last Sunday of the year. And we begin to think about all the things that are coming up for the new year. And uh, we sit down and we begin to look at our calendars and we begin to look at our budgets and we begin to look at everything in our lives and try to reevaluate and look back on the things that we did in the previous year and how that we can improve and do things better. And the things that we did well in that year, we want to advance them into the new year. And literally, it's just another chance to start over again, another chance to begin again. And, uh, you know, so many times we get to this place and we begin to look back and, and we focus on our failures instead of our successes, especially in the realm of our Christian lives. We begin to look back and we begin to think, man, I, I made a vow to God that I was going to do this. And I, I promised myself that I was going to do this spiritually. And I promised myself that I was going to do this about church and this about my Bible reading and this about prayer. And we look at that and we say, well, I failed. And so I don't want to set myself up for a failure again for the next time, for the new year. And so maybe you've even come to a place in your life where you no longer set goals uh, in your spiritual life because you're afraid and you're concerned that you're going to fail them again. And can I tell you something? That I do not serve a God of failure. I do not serve a God who looks down upon his children and says, well, let's look at 2015 and see what you did wrong. No, my God looks down and he says, my children have so much potential and they have so much that they could do for me. And uh, he's not looking at our failures, but he's looking at the possibility of a new start and a new success for the new year. And so if I could just kind of uh, uh, put the, the downtrodden of your mind when it comes to your spiritual life out and just for a moment, give you a, a thought that 2016 is another chance to start again. It's another chance to start again. It's kind of like being in your vehicle on a cold day. You know, you get into your car on a really cold day, and sometimes you go to turn your car over, and what happens? Nothing. That's right, nothing. And what do we do? We keep putting the key in and we take it back out and we put it back in and we turn it over and we keep going because we think eventually it's going to start. And then we come to the conclusion that it's finally not going to. So what do we do? 
We call someone or we get in our another vehicle and we drive down to the auto parts store and we get a new battery and we bring it and we put it in the vehicle and it turns over and it purrs like it did the very first day you got it. It had a chance to start over again, such as where we're at in our Christian life today. It's my goal today is, if I could just use that analogy, is to put a new battery in. To just say, you know what? Maybe, just maybe, the, the, the years past, there have been things that I've wanted to do that I haven't been able to. And today is time to start over again. In reference to December 31st, someone once said this, tomorrow is the first blank page of a 365-page book. Right. A good one. And I think that's so, so, put out so well. Tomorrow is the first blank page of a 365-page book. Write a good one. Look not back on yesterday, so full of failure and regret. Look ahead and seek God's way. All sins confessed, you must forget. Oh, as we approach this new year, it will bring us joy and happiness, and it will bring us challenges. I'm not here to tell you this morning that 2016 is going to be easy for you. I'm not here to tell you that in 2016 that all of your dreams and all of your wishes and everything that you've ever imagined is going to be fulfilled. I'm not here to tell you this morning that in 2016 that you will not experience heartache and that you will not experience things that you're not prepared to experience for none of us know the future. But even though I don't know the future, I know the one who holds the future. I know the one who's in charge of the future. I know the one who knows the end from the beginning, and he knows all things, and he's ready and prepared to help us through whatever it is. And the, and the, and the, the truth of the matter is, is how we respond will determine our year. So let's begin this year with a prayer. And, and, and there are some amazing prayers in the Bible. This is one of them that we find in the book of Colossians this was Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae. This is my prayer for us in the new year. I want you to know this morning, I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching for all of us. It starts right here in this pulpit and, and, and resonates throughout North Point Baptist Church. May God grant us the request of our hearts as we delight ourselves in him. If you have your Bibles and you're able to this morning, would you stand with me? Colossians chapter number 1. We're going to read a, 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 a not, I don't normally read lengthy passages of scripture, but for context purposes, it's important that we read the first 11 verses of the book of Colossians, and then we'll gather our thoughts. Colossians chapter number one, verse number one, the Bible says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, wherever you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is coming to you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you since the day you heard of it, and knew the grace of God and truth. As you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is your faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Verse number 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled 
with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse number 11, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Our Father in heaven, Lord, I pray that you'll bless the reading of your word. Lord, I pray that you'll bless the few moments that we have together. Lord, may you encourage us today. May you strengthen us today. May, may we understand that you are a God that desires success in the Christian life. And Lord, even though at times we may fail you, you are there to lift us up. You are there to put us back on track. And Lord, it all begins with this idea of prayer. And so today our prayer is, is that we can start all over, that we can begin again, And this year of 2016, and may this be the greatest year that we've ever had as an individual and as a church. Lord, we love you, but most of all, we thank you for loving us. For it's in your precious and holy son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Another chance to start over. Another chance to start over. If you have your insert there, if you're in the habit of taking notes, you can do that. This was a prayer that Paul gave to the church of Colossae. His first prayer was a prayer of perception. A prayer of perception. Verse number 9, the Bible says this. For this cause we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to, to desire that you might be filled, look what he says, with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So his prayer began with a prayer of perception, a prayer of perceiving what God would have for them in the upcoming days. That word perception has a very interesting definition. It's defined as the state of being or process of becoming aware of something through the senses, a way of regarding understanding or interpreting something. What Paul was saying here in Colossians chapter number one is he wanted the church at Colossae to be able to perceive. He wanted them to be able to understand. He wanted them to be able to interpret what the will of God is for their life. Now, I want you to understand something this morning as we begin this message That God, I do not believe that God is in the habit of hiding his will from our lives. I believe with all my heart that every Christian, if they're seeking the will of God, will find it. I do believe that. I believe that God will show them uh, what he would have them to do. Here's where we're at as Christians. Sometimes we get to the place in our lives and we begin to pray and say, God, please show me your will. God shows you the will and then you ask God, is there a second will? Because you didn't like the first one. Or maybe you're at a place in your life where you know what the will of God is and you're afraid of it. You're afraid to enter into the will of God. So the will of God is in front of you and you're doing everything you can to circumvent the will of God. Maybe you're at a place in your life where where you have the will of God and, and you want to involve yourself in the will of God, but you don't know how to involve yourself in it. You see, God wants us to understand. He wants us to be able to interpret his will according to what he desires for us in our lives. So the prayer of perception is first for the will of God. He said that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will. The knowledge of his will. When we begin to pray and ask God what he desires of us, he will show it to us. I remember sitting at a camp at the age of 14 sitting under the preaching of a man by the name of Johnny Pope. 
And I was sitting towards the back of the camp in Valdosta, Georgia. And I remember uh, as I was sitting there that God began to talk to me. And he began to tell me, Lee, I want you to go into the ministry. I want you to be a pastor. I want you to, to serve me with all your heart. My best friend was sitting next to me and I, I poked him. His name is Scott. And I said, Scott, God's talking to you. God said, what are you talking about? He said, God just told me to tell you that you're called into the ministry and he wants you to be a pastor. Scott and I kidded about that for a little while. My, he is now a pastor in, uh, in Tennessee. And, uh, you know, you begin to perceive what the will of God is for your life and you have a choice. You see, the thing about God's will is he is not going to force you to do his will. Just like he's not going to force salvation upon you. It is going to have to be your. Uh, it is going to have to be your choice whether or not you do the will of God that He has placed in front of you. Now, the honest truth is, is if you would have met me when I was fourteen years old, you'd have thought to yourself, "There is no way He will ever be standing in the pulpit anywhere preaching to anybody." That's the honest truth. But God begins to mold us and make us, and even today, you might be saying, "Boy, you shouldn't know." Um, you got to laugh about that. Uh, God begins to mold us and to make us into what he, listen to me, wants us to be. This is important. Not what we want to be. Are you with me? You see, at the age of 16, I decided that that was not what God wanted me to do. I decided that God wanted me to be a baseball player. And I, I, I excelled at it very well. And then God reminded me that baseball was not what his will was, and he had to completely take it away from me so that he could put me in the place that he desired for me to be. And I tell you something today. Unfortunately, there are many people who are still fighting God, and he's trying his best to put you in his will. Don't fight the will of God. Just do the will of God. That you might be filled with the knowledge of his will. How are you going to do God's will if you do not understand what it is that God would have you to do? Many of you are sitting here saying, Pastor, I wish I knew what God's will was for my life. I really wish I knew. That, that's, the, that's the question that I get probably more than anything as a pastor. As people come and talk to me and they'll say, Pastor, I really want to know what God's will is for my life. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says that God will give you the desires of your hearts. And I believe what your desire is, your spiritual desires, I want to make sure I clarify that, your spiritual desires, the things that God has implanted inside of you and, and, and has allowed you and desired for you to do, is more than likely what your will is. Can I tell you something where his will is? Can I tell you something right now? That if I was not standing in a pulpit preaching, I would be the most miserable person alive? I, I'm telling you, I know that. I know that personally, that, that this is what God has called me to do, and, th and this is the desire of, uh, of what God has put inside my heart. And if I'm not doing what God wants me to do, I'm going to be a miserable person. I I've met a lot of people, unfortunately, that are miserable people, and the reason that they'll tell you they're miserable is because they're running from the will of God for their lives. People know what God's will is. It's just a determining factor whether or not we're going to say yes to his will or not. The phrase filled with knowledge means to have full knowledge. It means to have complete understanding. Paul did not want the church to guess 
at what God's will was for their lives. Neither do I want you to guess at God's will for your or my life. We can know what God wants us to do without a shadow of a doubt. We can know God's will for our lives. You do not have to meander through this life hoping your life is counting for something. You can know that it is. There's been times in my life, and you can ask my wife this, but we've sat down literally in the middle of the night, and we've looked at each other, and we said, are we doing anything that counts? Are we doing anything for God that counts? Or is it just a repetition? Or is it just something else that, that we show up and do? Or are we doing something that counts for God? And listen to me, church, this morning. The counting for God begins inside your heart, not the activity that you're doing with your body. You have to decide within your heart that you are going to make a change, that you're going to do what God has called you to do, that you're going to do it with your whole heart. Because listen, the activities that we do with our body, the activities and the things that we do for God won't amount to anything if, well, if our heart is not in tune and in line with God. It's just not going to happen. Listen, listen, if I get up and I, I begin to preach and I begin to teach and I, and I begin to give direction to the church and it's all of my own reconnaissance, it's all of my own strength. Listen, even though things may happen, God will never get the glory. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about God. And that's where we have to keep our focus. Ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will this morning. Tell him that you are willing to go wherever he wants you to go this year to do whatever he wants you to do in this coming year. Surrender your time, your talents, and your treasures to him. Could I, could I challenge you to do this? Do not hold anything back from God. I, I think this literally needs to be a moment that we have with God this year. He said, Pastor, what do you mean? This morning, this, this thought came from me doing something that I've never done in my life. I was sitting at my desk, and it was almost like God was saying, Lee, what are you holding back? What are you holding back? And I literally just took everything and I, I, in, a, in a physical, in a literal, and in a non-literal sense and stuck it on my desk. And I said, God, I don't want to hold anything back from you this year. Because so many times we have the tendency, and I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone else, to say, God, you can have this part. Oh, you can have this part, but let me hold on to this one. I, I think I'll do a better job at this part. And that's when we get to the point where things become, uh, become self-consumed and we become self-orientated and say, listen, uh, these are the things that I can do and these are the things God can do. This is something that I know. If I'm trusting God with my salvation, I can certainly trust him with everything else. If I can trust God that he is the savior of the world and that, that my home will be in heaven and that everything in my life depends on him, then literally everything in my life should depend on him. Give it back and watch him use you in his will. One thing is for certain, if you're going to do the will of God this year, you're going to have to know what it is. God will manifest his will in your life if you will allow him. The new year stands before us like a chapter in a book waiting to be written. We can help write that story by setting goals of which one should be doing the will of God. Let her be the word of God. The prayer of perception, doing the will of God, and listening and being involved in the word of God. 
The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, in all spiritual, or excuse me, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. All of our wisdom and our spiritual understanding comes from the Word of God. Everything that we get comes from the Word of God. It's impossible for me, and I, I really want you, if you don't get anything outside this message, I really want you to key in with me for just a few moments. It's impossible for me to fully explain the importance the Bible, the important, uh, how important the Bible is in your life. It doesn't matter how old you are, the Bible is your all in all. You may have children at home that are just learning how to read. Can I tell you, read the Bible. It's the instruction book for all of life. Read it to your children so that they may learn also. Read your Bible. It's what we have. You might be in your teen years here today. In the adolescence of your life, when all of your friends have turned their back on God and the church, they think the Bible is nothing but a book of fairy tales and matters that are unimportant. Can I tell you, young people, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Your Bible will get you through the years and through the years when you want to wander away from God, when you want to wander away from home, and when you want to wander away from the church. And you wonder, wonder away from everything that's decent and moral. You see, young people, we all come to a crossing stage in our life where we begin to make our own decisions. And we begin to realize that the mom and dad can only tell us so much. And, and when I turn 18, man, when I turn 18, everything is going to change. You're talking to a guy who used to be there. Can I tell you the greatest thing that you can do as a young person is read your Bible. Saturate yourself with the Word of God. Because if you saturate yourself with the Word of God now, when those pivotal decisions in your life come, you'll be able to make them based upon not your knowledge, but based upon the Word of God. I've often told God it's unfair that the most important decisions we make in life are before we've ever lived life. You see, we decide where we're going to go to college. We decide what we're going to do for the rest of our lives. And in many cases, we decide who our spouse is going to be before life has ever even hit us. And the key to making that all of the success, young person, is reading your Bible. It's understanding who God is. You might be in your 20s here today. When the teenage years have left you standing all alone, it might not be popular, and certainly it probably is not among your friends, to stand for God. Can I tell you what you should do? You should read your Bible. You should read your Bible. It will give you wisdom above all your years and lead you into a life of significance. You're beginning to, to, to stretch out on your own and to branch out on your own and try to figure out where it is that God wants me in this big cosmic uh, atmosphere of a world that, that we call and, and what is it that, that I'm to do and how am I to do it. Listen, the best direction that we can ever get is from God. Now let me side note for a moment and nobody get mad at me. Mom and dad, you can help but don't get in the way. You can help give direction, but don't get in the way. You see, the honest truth is, if I told the truth, and I know many of you know my mom and dad, many of you are friends with them on social media, 
And you may even go home and tell them I said this, but that's okay. But my parents had their way. I wouldn't be standing in Carrollton, Georgia as a pastor. I would be somewhere in Jacksonville, Florida, right next to them. And all parents in this room that love their children would say the same thing. Listen, moms and dads, don't get in their way. If God is calling them to do something, whether it's here in the States, whether it's across the globe, don't get in their way. You say, Pastor, what am I to do? Read the Bible. Read the Bible and pray for your children. You might be in your 30s or 40s while raising children, teenagers, or young adults. And you're going to need encouragement, certainly. And you're going to need inspiration that only the Word of God provides. Can I tell you what you need to do? Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Why? Because your children are still watching you. You say, Pastor, I have young, I have teenagers. They hardly ever speak to me. Yeah, they might not speak to you very much, but I promise you they're watching you. They're watching you. They might not come to you with their problems, but they are watching to see how you handle the pressures of life. You ever think about that? They're going to emulate the way that you deal with circumstance. Circumstances in your life, they're seeing it. They've gotten past that age where you can pull the wool over their eyes and make them seem like everything is grand. They are now in it. They are now seeing it. They are seeing how you struggle. They are seeing the the decisions that you have to make. They are listening to the words that are coming out of your mouth. And what we need to portray to them is that it's not about us. It's about God and that we infiltrate ourselves and we surround ourselves and we give ourselves to the word of God. That's what we're to do. Your Bible will help you be the wise testimony to them beyond their adolescent years. You might be in your 50s today or maybe even a little older. Can I tell you what you need to do? Read your Bible. All the other generations need the guidance of godly Christian grandparents. Leave a legacy of godliness. Pass on your passion. For the word of God. Read your Bible. In March, my grandmother went home to be with the Lord. My grandfather had been passed on for some 10 years. As I walked into my parents' house after the funeral... My mother walked over to me, and she had something in her hand. I didn't know what it was. And she said, we found this, and we want you to have it. And she handed it to me. It was my grandfather's Bible. My grandfather's Bible now sits in my office. And as I began to page through it, I knew my grandfather was a spiritual, godly man. There are notes inside of this Bible that I have no idea what they mean. It was him talking to God about what was going on in his life. That is probably, in my mind, the most precious thing that I have in the memory of my grandfather. 
to ask you today when we get to the end of our lives? What are people going to say that are the most precious memories that they have of us? This is what I would want it to be, that he had a passion for the word of God. So my challenge to you today is to read your Bible. Paul prayed for the church that they would be able to understand or perceive the will of God and the word of God. I'm going to be quick. Number two, a prayer of prosperity. A prayer of prosperity. Look at verse number 10. The Bible says that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. A prayer of prosperity. The definition of prosperous in this context means to be fruitful or to abound. It is not talking about gaining possessions. It's talking about being fruitful according to the word of God. Here again, Paul's prayer for their prosperity was in two areas. First of all, that they would prosper in their walk. That they would prosper in their walk with the, God, with the Lord. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. That we would walk a, a, a life that was pleasing to God. Paul prayed that the believers at Colossae would be prosperous in their walk with the Lord. My prayer for each of us this year is that we would be prosperous in our walk with him. I'm not praying for us to make a million or to stockpile things that will rust and decay. I'm praying for us to prosper in our spiritual lives. That we would be rich in our spiritual lives. I'm praying that we'll be the best example of what a believer in Christ should be. If we will do that, we will be prosperous. People need to see Jesus Christ, the hope of glory in our lives. Your success and happiness lies in you, Helen Keller said. Resolve to keep happy and your joy and you shall form an invincible host against uh, difficulties. It is, a, it is a success and a happiness that lies in you based upon the word of God and his hope in you. And not only that, his prayer was for in their work. Being, fruit, excuse me, being fruitful in every good work. Being fruitful in every good work. That's a good prayer. As we serve God this year, I pray that we, the work that we do for Jesus Christ will produce more fruit than it ever has. I don't know about you, but I don't want to remain the same. I don't want to remain the same. You know, it's interesting. I've learned a few things about fruit trees. And, and I found out that some fruit trees cannot bear fruit unless they have a partner. Unless there's another tree. And so you grow these fruit trees together so that they may produce an abundance of amount of fruit. That is why we have church. We can't do it alone, church. We have to do it together. And the more that we are doing it together, the more that we're prospering together, the more that we're working together, the more fruit that will abound. And we want to produce more fruit in our lives and in the life of our church than we ever had before. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, if you haven't memorized this verse, this is one of those verses that I think should be the first one on your list. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, always busy doing his work. Jonathan Edwards said it this way, resolution one, I will live for God. Resolution two, if no one else does, I still will. What a great thought. 
Paul prayed that the church would be able to perceive the will of God and the word of God. He prayed that they would be prosperous in their walk and in their work. And thirdly, a prayer of power. And I'm done. A prayer of power. Look at verse 11. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. A prayer of power. The Colossians needed, just as we need, the power of God on their lives and ministry. We have done without it for too long, and we have not done without it very well, and that's the truth. Without the power of God in our lives, it's all in vain. We need to everything that we do rest in the power of God, the power to endure. He says, unto all patience and long-suffering, the, the power to endure. Look at me, church. Some of you faced some of the most difficult circumstances of you, that you've ever faced in your life in 2015. I've sat with you brokenhearted. We've cried together. We've prayed together. We've shared together. We cried some more together. Can I tell you something? 2016 might hold another challenge. There might be another circumstance or difficulty that we cry through and that we pray through. But can I tell you what we need to do? No matter what, we need to endure. We need to endure. We're on a race as Christians. The Bible tells us that we should finish strong. I heard somebody say it one time like this. It's not about how strong you start. It's about how strong you finish. To endure. Someone once said, despite our disapproval with what God allows us to endure, he still remains the same God that is not interested in our convenience as much as our character. Endurance will show forth our character. Here's our last thought. Not only to endure, but to enjoy. Look at me, church. God, does not, God did not design the Christian life to be sad. God did not design the Christian life to be a, a, a discouraging life. God did not design the Christian life to, to be a heartache and, 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 and problems and failure. That's not what God designed it for. God designed the Christian life for us to enjoy it. You ready? Watch this. Look, you can do it. I just saw you. He designed the Christian life for us to smile, for us to enjoy it. Listen, I, I don't know about you, but if I'm a lost person that doesn't know anything about church, doesn't know anything about God, and the only thing I ever see is people walking around with their lips dragging to the ground, I don't think I want to be any part of that. But if I see people walking around and they're enjoying their life, I'm going to find out what is so great about it. Right? How do you think products become so, uh, they, they advance so well? Because people enjoy them. I have to tell you a story. My wife's going to get mad at me, but I'm going to tell it anyways. I came home one day and uh, she said, I got to show you something. I said, Okay. She turns on the TV and she shows me this commercial for this product. And she says, it is the most amazing product that they've ever made. 
You know, it's one of those, for one small payment, or four, however you want to pay for it. But you look at the product and you think to yourself, this is what you think. Wow, that is amazing. And then what do you see? You see the person who designed it. They're beginning to talk about it. They're not saying, well, this product breaks down every once in a while. It only works for some people. It's very difficult to operate. No. That salesman's going, wow, check it out. Three easy steps and you have a whole meal to serve to an army of people. In five minutes. It's just one push of the button and you walk away and wait for it to beep. It never breaks down. And if it does break down, we'll replace it for free. You know, they're selling their product. I don't mean we have to sell Christianity, but we are the face of Christianity. We are the face of it. I don't know about you, but I want to be a joyful Christian. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. It's my strength. Someone once said many people miss their share of happiness, not because they never found it, but because they never stopped to enjoy it. Listen, we are to enjoy our Christianity. What a prayer Paul says in the book of Colossians. He says it this way. Lord, help the Colossians to understand your will and your word. Help them to prosper in their walk and their work. And give them your power to endure the difficulties and still enjoy the journey. What a great, great thought. And I'm done with this. Another year is dawning. Dear Father, let it be. In working or in waiting, another year with thee. Another year of progress, another year of praise. Another year of proving thy presence all the days. Another year of mercies, of faithfulness and grace. Another year of gladness, the glory of thy face. Another year of leaning upon thy loving breast. Another year of trusting, of quiet, happy rest. Another year of service, of witness for thy love. Another year of training for holier work above. Another year is dawning, dear Father, let it be. On earth or else in heaven, another year for thee. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, O oh, the love of the Lord, all ye saints. For the Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your hearts, all ye that hope in the Lord. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Thank you for listening so well this morning.